Do you ever feel like this world's just trying to force you into its mold and rob you of your uniqueness? Like you're on this endless cycle of following other people into nowhere and you can't get off? Well, the good news of Easter is that we really can get off. We don't have to keep living these dummied down, cheap copied lives, conforming to what everyone else is like, but we instead can experience the great life that God created for us. That's what Jesus gave us when he came, when he died, and when he rose. But we have a choice to make if we want to experience it. We have to break the mold. Happy Easter, everybody. It's great to see you. So glad that you're here. Thank you for coming. Whether you're a guest or a regular attender, we are absolutely thrilled that you're here for the Easter celebration. And for those of you at Northridge Plymouth, you need to know you're not alone because we are one church but in three locations. And so we also have Northridge Brighton Howell and Northridge Ann Arbor Celine joining us for this Easter celebration. So glad that you're there. And then we also have Northridge Online. And so a ton of people are celebrating the fact that Jesus rose again and we're talking about what it can mean for us. Now, for those of you who are guests in particular, you might not know, but we here at Northridge work very, very hard in order to take God's truth and communicate it to our lives in a way that's meaningful and relevant. And it takes a lot of creativity, and we have a ton of creative people here who invest in that. But the problem with creative people, and our creative team in particular, is that They love to put me in difficult and uncomfortable circumstances. They think that's the best form of creativity. And it happened again as we got ready to communicate this Easter weekend. They had their way, and this is what I got. So, everybody, you've probably not met Dennis, but Dennis is a part of our design team and helps us to build these glorious stages and all of that. But today you're going to help me break the mold in an interesting way, right? That's right, Brad. Today we're going to make a plaster mold of your face. Has anybody ever plastered your face before? Well, it depends on what you mean by the word plaster. But uh, the way you're talking about it, I don't think so. Well, what we're going to do, we're going to cover your face with Vaseline. And then we're going to pour plaster over your face. You're going to be breathing through straws in your nose. So don't open your mouth, don't open your eyes during the process. Okay. Okay, so you... you So I'll be in total darkness and total Total silence. Total darkness, and it's a dark, it's really dark. I mean, I've had this done before, and it's it's dark. Okay. And you're going to lose some of your eyelashes, and you're going to lose some of your eyebrows. Okay. So... Fantastic. Can we get started? Uh, no. Whatever's comfortable. Whatever's comfortable, leaving would be comfortable. (laughs) I can honestly say I'm not nervous yet. How's it going in there? You okay? Great. That's what I want to hear. Let me take straws out now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. 10 to 15 minutes, we'll take you out of this. 
Yeah, there's some hair in there, yeah. all right. There you go. Cool. Does that look like you got what you needed there? Yeah, yeah perfect. Perfect. <sighs> How in the world do I let them talk me into crap like this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> all right, thanks, everybody. Happy Easter. Thank you. And this is the result. Without a tan. <laughs> this is my unique image, the one that God gave me. And it's unlike any who have ever walked on the face of this planet before me. And, and you have the same thing. A God-created, a God-sculpted image that was ultimately to be unique in the way it experienced God and ultimately unique in the way it expressed God in this world. This, this unique impression that we did with plaster illustrates a truth. Each and every one of us really was created with intention on purpose by the great creator to be a unique reflection of his image, a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. You are a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. And it's not what I'm saying to you, it's what God says to you. Look at Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being, God. You, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully, uniquely, and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Each and every one of us made to be a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. But, but, but if we're honest, uh, not, not many of us are living up to that whole masterpiece deal, are we? I mean, if we're really, really honest about who we are, we were, we were made for better than what we are. We were made for better than what we've become. Every single one of us from the inside out knows that, that we... We've kind of missed the mark. We've kind of fallen short that, that masterpiece might not be the best description of the lives that we've of, often lived. We've, we've missed the mark. We were created not just for better. We were created to experience so much better in this world because we were created to be like God. He was our pattern. He was the mold for our lives. And as we reflected him in and through our lives, we would be a masterpiece. And as a masterpiece, we would experience what masterpieces experience. Value, significance, meaning. It'd be a beautiful experience. It, it, look at how he said it in Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. One-of-a-kind masterpieces, each and every one of us made to uniquely experience and express him in this world. What a great story. Obviously, something's gone wrong somewhere. Because you didn't come in here, see me walk out on that conveyor belt and onto this platform and go, now there is a living masterpiece of the handiwork of God. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at you, and I haven't found it yet either. I mean, we're, something went wrong. Something happened. And, and here's what went wrong. The problem isn't how God created us. The problem is what we've done 
with his creation. The problem isn't how he made us. The problem is what we've done since he made us. Every single one of us along the way, every one of us has taken the wrong turn in life. We've turned away from everything God created us to be and to reflect. There goes the masterpiece. And instead we turned thinking that we could write a better story for our lives, that we could sculpt a better picture for our lives. And what we've done is we've obliterated our value. We've messed it up. Isaiah chapter 53, one of the Old Testament books of the Bible says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Every single one of us turned to our own way, done our own thing, decided that we would be a better God of our lives than God himself, decided that we could write the better book of our lives. We've, as a result, allowed ourselves to become cheap copies of one another because, you see, we're not creators. We're not people who out of life can sculpt masterpieces. No, that's only God. And we've taken what he created and we've dummied it down. The best we can do is try and look like one another instead of be the unique masterpieces God created. The best we can do is compete with one another for attention and position and power and influence where God created us to have a unique place in this world. And it's sad. We, we tend to settle for being like everyone else, mass manufactured instead of living out our uniqueness. Think of it this way. Which one of us wouldn't want to own a painting or a sculpture by a master? I mean, as you know, they become profoundly valuable. They are profoundly beautiful, and we'd all love to own one. And there's only one reason we don't. We can't afford them. And so what we do is we buy either cheap copies or mass-manufactured pictures that, that we can afford. But we would rather have the masterpiece. Think about what we've done with our lives. God created us to be a masterpiece, and we've decided to just follow the rest of the world, to get on the conveyor belt of life and just become like everyone else. We've dummied our lives down. We've done it because we've been living for and we've been losing ourselves in the moment, floating in the current of the present culture, allowing this culture to sculpt us instead of realizing God has already sculpted us and given us a way to experience life. God created us to be like him, to experience him, to do like him, make a huge impact in this world, and we failed. We failed big time, but... It doesn't have to be this way. In fact, the point of Easter is that though we've written the wrong story, God can write a brand new story in our lives. Those we've messed up, what he created, God can recreate us and make us good. He really can help us to be the better we were created to be, to experience the better we were created to experience. In fact, there's this book in the New Testament of the Bible called Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we have this great picture from beginning to end, the bad and the good of what Easter ultimately brings to us. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, God gives us the two realities of this world. The first reality, how it really is. Now, how it really is, is not a really good picture. How it really is, is kind of painful to look at. But until we know how it really is, we can never know how it can be, and we can never get there. 
One of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't pretend that life is easy, like life is a fairy tale, that life is all dreams. That's why these people who in the name of God come out and give you all these positive attitude cliches, but they never tell you the reality of what you're experiencing help cheer you up for a minute, but they then take you further down after it's over because it doesn't help at all. It's just clouding us with hype. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, this is how life is, and he paints the dark picture, and he makes it clear that we're responsible. But then, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, tells us how it can be, how we can exchange the old pattern of our lives, the old mess-ups of our life, and we can experience a brand new chance, write a brand new story. It is a great truth that brings hope into our lives if we choose to follow it. Jesus made it possible. So let's look into this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin with how it really is, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. He's talking to people who've already gone through the transformation, and he's reminding them of what they were and where they came from. And he says, as for you, you were dead, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You know, the evil one, the spirit, who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. And it's not just those people out there, but all of us also have lived among them at one time. All of us. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. There you have it the dark picture of how it really is and how it really happened. This passage bluntly and honestly describes what we've done with the original masterpiece that God created. We have messed it up. We have marred it and scarred it significantly. In fact, look into that passage. In that passage, so many things are said. The first thing he says, you want to know why you're no longer the masterpiece I created you to be? It all boils down to this one word, sin. Now I know, sin. The minute you hear that word, 21st century intelligent people that we are, we kind of recoil like, oh, that's an old religious word. It has no relevance in our lives. You're wrong. Sin really didn't even start out as a religious word. It started out as a word that simply meant missed the mark. That's all. You've missed the mark. And then it ultimately became a word that meant you fell short of a standard or fell short of a goal or a purpose. And so what happens here is this very secular word is brought into a spiritual realm and it's simply saying, look at, be honest. You've missed the mark. You've fallen short of the standard. You were created to reflect the image of God. You're going to claim that you're doing it? You were created to reflect the, the unconditional love of God, the beauty of his generosity, his compassion, his care, his concern, his creativity. You were supposed to, to be his reflection. You've missed the mark. Not many of us are delusional enough to argue with that. He was the standard. He was the goal. He was the purpose. We were to mold our lives after him. And whoa, talk about falling short. We have fallen short. Every single one of us has. How? By making choice after choice, sometimes little and sometimes big, to do life contrary to the way God designed us, to think that we're smarter than God, that we know more than him, that our choices are better than the ones that he's recommended, and and we have fallen short. We've sinned. And he told us in Ephesians 2 what it leads to. It leads to being dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, that's a harsh word. 
And a lot of us go, yeah, okay. Well, you said I've sinned, but I'm still breathing. I'm still listening. I'm still here. Woo, everything's okay. Yeah, I get it. Sin ultimately does result in physical death, of course, but sin results immediately in spiritual death. And what happens when someone dies physically? Well, they stop responding. They stop functioning properly. They lose all their senses. Their senses cease to function. No longer can they smell. No longer can they taste because they can't even chew. I mean, they're dead, right? What happens when someone's dead spiritually? They stop functioning properly. They're no longer functioning as a masterpiece, responding properly to God and reflecting him, but instead they're simply reflecting themselves, their hollow self. They're they're no longer capable of sensing God because they're dead spiritually. Their spiritual senses are dead. Think about it in the physical realm. If someone has no sense of taste, it would be easy to think that taste isn't a big deal. In fact, there might not even be taste. If, if someone didn't have the sense of hearing, they might not know the beauty of sound. Well, the same is true in spiritual life. I hear it all the time as a pastor, as a person who used to be in a place of skepticism and cynicism and doubt and rejection of all this stuff. I'm going to tell you, I get it. It's easy to say, come on. At best, God is distant. At best, God is absent. I don't see him. I don't hear him. I don't feel him. I don't sense him. Of course not. You're spiritually dead. And dead people have no senses. Some people have concluded that God's not real at all because they can't sense them anywhere in their lives. Of course not. We're dead. We have to be alive to know God. But sin made us dead. And it tells us how it happened. We can't blame others. We can't blame our heritage. It says it happened because you followed the ways of this world. I came off into this platform off of a conveyor belt. You know, and that's kind of what life is like. We just follow each other in circles, making the same bad choices time and time again, expecting different results but not experiencing them. We conformed our lives to the wrong mold. We, we followed the wrong examples. We messed up. And this is not true of just some of us. This is true of all of us. There is absolutely no exception to this. We've all chosen to live for ourselves selfishly. We've all followed our own desires and our own thoughts and gone contrary to the design that God had for us. We have all, all messed up. And as a result, we've become, according, and this is how it is, according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we've become objects of wrath. Objects of wrath. It means all kinds of things, but it ultimately talks about how we are experiencing all the darkness and the junk that comes with being separated from God. I mean, God's the source of life and you walk away from him and you don't really live. God's the source of security and you walk away from him and you have no security. God's the great provider. You walk away from him and you openly have no inside provision. You never experience fullness, but only emptiness. I mean, it's a big deal. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 explains a lot to me about me and about you and about our world. We've messed it up. God created us each to be masterpieces, and instead we've become cheap copies, not worthy of putting up on the wall or being sold in a garage sale. This image that God created was to uniquely experience him and uniquely express him, but because of the choices I've made, I've marred it up and messed it up. I've destroyed it. I've chosen, as Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 says, to sin 
to make choices contrary to God, to do what I wanted to do, to fall short of what God created me for. And that one thing has created all kinds of stuff that has marred this image. The first thing it's created is guilt. Guilt, which absolutely forms the lens through which I see life and you. Because you see, I don't, I don't see the world through eyes of innocence. I don't see the world through eyes of purity. I see the world through the eyes of all the things I've done wrong and blown. And there's guilt involved with that. This, this is why we live in denial. This is why we mask ourselves. This is why we cover ourselves up. And I've marred myself with more. With sin and guilt comes shame. Shame. This is why we have a hard time looking each other in the eye. This is why sometimes we have a hard time looking in the mirror and looking deep into our eyes. This is why we pretend we're better than we are. Sometimes we use religion and sometimes we use other things, but we we pretend. We were made to be a masterpiece reflection of God and instead we're reflecting our own bad choices and the guilt that comes and the shame that comes and, oh, the regret that comes. So much regret that we have. Wish I could have that back. Wish I could have that back. Wish I have that back. And it scars us. We experience as a result of our loss and our guilt and our regret, we experience anger because, I mean, it's the emotional response we have. I mean, we get anger and anger turns to rage and we leave all kinds of of brokenness in the wake of our rage and our hostility. I mean, how much have we experienced of loss because of it? Well, there's another thing that now scars my image. Loss. I'm defined by loss. I lost my relationship with God, which is why I'm always feeling empty, always feeling unvaluable, always feeling like there's something more. And this is why I make so many of the choices I make, and you do as well. We're trying to find something that will give us meaning and fullness. It's because we've lost our relationship with God. We've lost relationships with one another. We've lost our sense of purpose. We've lost our sense of security and value, loss. And then one last word that defines us, me, my image, failure. Failure. My image, a -a one-of-a-kind masterpiece created to reflect God, his goodness, his love, his character. And instead, because I've made choices to do my own thing my own way, this one-of-a-kind masterpiece has been marred and scarred and messed up by all of this junk. And yours has as well. Now, I know a lot of you are guests at Northridge for this Easter weekend celebration. Others of you are a part of the Northridge family and All of you made the choice to come here. And in choosing to come here, whether it was enthusiastically or someone was dragging you here and forcing you to do it, it's Easter after all. However you got here, I'm sure that you had at least the hope that if you were going to waste your time or invest your time in coming to a place like this, at least you could expect to be encouraged when you were there. How am I doing so far? Am I really lifting you up, encouraging you, making you feel good? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You're dead. You're not responding. There's no hope. It's awful. Happy Easter. Yeah, it's been really great so far. Here's the thing. That's the reality. And until we're honest about the reality, 
we can never ever move beyond it. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 leads to some good news. It doesn't have to end with how it is. You don't have to settle for how it's been. You don't have to settle for taking a masterpiece and marring it and messing it up. This does not have to be the end. There's more to the story because look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, his love, his undeserved favor that you can be saved, that you can be remade and redeemed. There were two words in what I just read that describe Easter. There are two words that turn all of the bad news about how it is into the good news about how it can be. And here are those two words. But God. But God. Yes, it's true. I have messed up what God created with failure. But God. It is so true that I have done so many things that have caused guilt and shame. But God. It is true that I have made choices that are sin and it's left me with regrets and anger and I've expressed those things in bad ways. But, but God, it is true that my life can be defined by loss. But God, Easter is the but God reality of life. God can put all the broken pieces of our lives back together again. He can restore the masterpiece, you were created to be. Yes, we've messed up our lives. We've marred them and scarred them severely, big time. But God, we can go from dead to alive because Jesus died for us. A lot of people don't understand that Jesus died for them. He's not just some prophet from the past who went a little bit too far and as sometimes happens, got killed by people. He is God the creator who came down because he loved each and every one of us and he died so we wouldn't have to. The end of our story is death because the wages of sin is death, but he never sinned. And so when he died, he died for me and you. I love the video where we interviewed people from our community about facts of Jesus, and many of them didn't know any really facts about Jesus, wondered if he even existed. Of course, because we have no spiritual senses left. We're spiritually dead. And, but when asked, if someone died for you that you didn't know, would you want to know about them and meet them? And they all said yes. And I love the one who said, I don't think Jesus is even real. That's the facts. But when asked if they'd want to meet someone, this young lady said, who died for them, this young lady said, yes, I'd want to meet them. And then she said, because they would have thought I was worth it, worth dying for. And I would want to know why. Jesus died for you. And he did it because he knows you're worth it. He created you. He made you to be a masterpiece, but you're living way below the level of how he created you. And he died so that what you've been can go and be buried in a tomb, and he rose so that 
You can write an entirely new story out of your life, but God is the story of Easter. Look at Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ, raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is a big deal. Here's what God's saying. Because of what Jesus has done, instead of staying on the conveyor belt of life and following everyone into nowhere, instead of just being a cheap copy of everyone else, instead of going through all these endless cycles of living with and dying, defined by guilt and loss and failure, but God, we can experience what God originally intended for us. We can once again be a masterpiece, but but to get there, Something has to change. I mean, to date, by nature, I make the choices that lead me away from God and towards regret and failure and loss and guilt. And so do you. I mean, we're all the same. And so the fact that Jesus died and then rose again doesn't help us at all unless we make the choice to experience that. There's only one way that I can be the masterpiece that God originally created for me, given the fact that I have destroyed the image that he made in me, there's only one way. And it's if I break the mold. Got to break it. If you don't break the old mold, you'll always be in the pattern of the old mold. It's the way it is. In fact, this is what most of us do. Most of us try and cover up the old mold. We, we try and use whiteout or other coverings. So here's what we do. We cover it with religion. Because, man, if I, if I start using God's name in the right way, and I, some of you get that, and if I... If I do these traditional religious things and if I become spiritual and go to church, if I give, if I do these things, read the Bible once in a while, oh my gosh, then that makes me a new person, right? No, it just covers up the old. And underneath all the new religion and all the new coverings and all the new things you're doing is guilt and loss and failure. It's who you are and ultimately it breaks through. Others try to cover it up with their their intellectual philosophies and others by simply denying it. Others by just running and escaping it. But the truth is, as long as you have the old mold, you're the old you. And here's the hard part. We really can't break our own mold. Oh, I know, I just took the mold that was made of me and crashed it. But I can't do that in my real life. Time and time again, I've made resolutions to change. You have as well. And ultimately, I become the old Brad again over time because the old Brad exists underneath the new resolution. But Jesus made it possible to do what we can't do, to break that mold. Because when he died on that cross, he was dying for us. And when we put our faith in him, the old us guilt and loss and failure dies with him. And when the old me dies, it no longer functions and responds in the same way. It no longer has the same senses. It's broken. And then when I put my faith in him, I get the new life of his resurrection. He gives me a brand new story, a brand new sculpture. 
And the same with you. So what do you have to do? Just what I've had to do. You have to stop trusting yourself. That's what you've always done. Trusting yourself has led you away from God. Trusting yourself has led you to all your failures and all your losses and all your guilt and all your shame. You have to stop trusting yourself. The Bible calls that repentance. Turn away from that and then start trusting Jesus. That's faith. Start trusting Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus, you can be dead to old you and alive to new you. You can break the mold. But God... You don't have to be a failure in Jesus. You don't have to be a loser in Jesus. You have to trust him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it's by grace you have been saved, redeemed, remade, renewed through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's God's gift to you, something you can receive but you can't do. It's not by works. No one can boast about it. I want to encourage you, just before I give you the last application and just before we move to an Easter weekend celebration to end this service, some worship. I, I want to ask you, if you would, just for a moment, bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you honor the moment and bow with me here at Northridge Plymouth? And those of you at Northridge Ann Arbor Celine and Northridge Brighton Hollow, if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer, and I hope that you church online attenders would look into this prayer as well. If you're a believer already, I encourage you to be talking to God about what's going on in your life as we've really talked about what we're supposed to be. But if you've not ever stopped trusting yourself and started trusting Jesus, pray with me now. Take my words in this prayer and make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I need you to break my mold because I really have messed up what you made me to be. I've missed the mark. I've sinned. I have guilt and loss and failure. But I believe, Jesus, you died on that cross for me and I'm trusting you to forgive me. And I believe you rose again for me and I'm trusting you to make me new. And I'm thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed with me and you're in one of our live services, maybe you're at Northridge Ann Arbor or Northridge Brighton Hall, Northridge Plymouth, we gave you one of these programs when you came in. And on the inside, we put together a special connection card for this Easter weekend. And there's something relevant, I believe, to all of you. I hope that you'd look at that and see if we can answer any of your questions or get you some materials. But for those of you who just prayed with me, on the side where you fill out your name and address is a little lighter rectangle. And it's got two statements. The first one says, I just prayed with you to receive Jesus Christ for the first time. I believe you might have prayed before, you might have grown up religious, but if you've never really honestly prayed for God to take your old and make you new like we just did, that's what you did. And I want to encourage you to check off that box because we've put together some information that can help you take some next steps in your life. We'd love to put it in your hands. So check that box off. Maybe you came in and you said, no, I've already had a relationship with God, but I haven't been living it. And I've been so impacted here this weekend that I, I, want, I wanted to pray with you to renew that. That second statement's for you. Just check that and say, I renewed. We, we also put together information for you. Next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And then how do you get it to us? At every exit of all of our campuses is a box. And you just drop that card into it. 
We'll send you that letter. And for those of you who, like me, are a little bit cynical and skeptics, we're not going to do anything funky with this thing. You know, it's not like I'm going to show up at your door this week and, you know, ask for dinner. I mean, we're not going to bug you that way. We're going to send you some information so that you can take next steps with God. The next thing, look at Ephesians 2.10. Look at how this passage wraps up. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Once we accept the gift of new life, we become God's workmanship to do what God prepared in advance for us to do, to do what God originally created us to do. You know what it's saying? In Jesus, we once again become God-made masterpieces. In Jesus, I don't have to be a one-of-a-kind masterpiece that's been forever messed up. I get to be a one-of-a-kind masterpiece who lives like God created me to live. So stop living like you used to live. Get off the conveyor belt. Stop going in circles and instead start living like God created you to live. Start following him. It will change your world. It is true. Every single one of us has blown it big time in our lives. Every single one of us has messed up and marred our image. It's true. But God, but God, in Jesus, you can be the masterpiece you were created to be. In Jesus, you can have the life that you're looking for, but the choice is yours. You have to make the decision to break the mold, and I hope you have. And if you have, there's only one response to a service like this, only one. We have to thank him. We have to worship him. We have to celebrate him. So why don't we do that together right now? Happy Easter, everybody. Let's worship the living Savior.